We'll just do this for, okay, there we go. Got it. All right, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And we're, we'll be referring to this text a little bit later. When, when you talk uh, topically, uh, my own preference is ex consecutive expository preaching. So kind of going th straight through a book. Every now and then we'll do something topical, which is what we're doing. And since, since that's the case, we're kind of drawing from some bigger pictures. This is a bit of a springboard text. If you're wondering where we're going next, we're going to uh, go through the book of Colossians. And we'll start that in a couple of weeks when we're finished with the seven deadly sins. So just to give you a little teaser for what's upcoming. But in the meantime, we're here and we'll use this text as something we'll refer to a little bit later as we talk about sloth. So this is a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. He says in, in verse 14, which I think is on page 983 of the Black Bibles in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible and want to follow along. This is what Jesus says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who is, has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this is the word of God. So here we are. Uh, today we're talking about sloth. And to give you a context for where we've been, you can see those lovely leaves filling out on the tree, starting with pride and then going from envy to anger to greed. Last week, gluttony, and this week, sloth. And what we said about gluttony, uh, just to refresh your memory, is that it has to do with the stomach. When your God is your stomach and your whole life is ordered around your stomach, whether it's to excess or in denial, then you are practicing this, this sin. You're, you're letting it control you. 
And we've had the, the pleasure each week of having somebody speak to the way that that particular vice or sin has been a part of their lives and also how they've been able to see Christ work in them and overcome that. So I have someone to share with, with, uh, about that t- today, but this is going to be just something inside the, the family. So if you're listening online, if you're one of the thousands of people listening to our <laughs> podcast, then you'll, you'll just uh, you know, have to uh, make your way physically here sometime to hear these kind of testimonies. So uh, I'm going to pause that, and then we'll pick up on the back end of that too. So, so uh, thank you. Um, yeah, definitely there. I, actually, I see it's in three weeks. We'll start uh, Colossians. Next week will be lust and then vainglory, or your image. You're just concerned about that. But today we're going to talk about sloth. And um, just to set the context, I mean, for, for sloth a little bit, I guess a little bit of humor perhaps as well to see kind of our cultural image of it. I've got a video here to show you um, from a group of comedians at Studio C. Some of you may be familiar with them, but this is a little bit about seven deadly sins, especially focused on sloth. said by them of old, avoid all sin, but avoid most especially the seven deadly sins. Pride. Beware of pride, for pride puffeth up the great and causeth the mighty to fall. Beware of envy, envy. for envy robbeth of joy and leadeth to the path of bitterness. But above all things, beware of sloth. Sloth. For it is adorable. Wrath. Avoid wrath, the spark that leadeth to deadly fire. Gluttony. And gluttony, the drunkenness of excess. Sloth. And also sloth, the cutest of all the creatures, which feeds upon twigs, leaves, and the hearts of men. Greed. Greed doth beguile the mighty of spirit. But who cares because sloth? It sucks thy soul to the abyss of cuteness. Lust. L- l- lust. Lust. It doth tempt the hearts of... Okay, seriously. It's so precious. I mean, look out. Uh, uh, uh. Beware the seven deadly sins. Especially sloth. The most adorable sin. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's sloth. All right. So. Gets me every time. <laughs> well, some of you become a good. Thanks, Jay, for that tip. On that too, uh, so sloth. You know Harper's 1987 spoof on the seven deadly sins. The caption for sloth was this: If sloth had been the original sin, we'd still be in paradise. All of us, too lazy to eat the fruit, we'd still all be okay. The New York Times titled it, Nearer My Couch to Thee, plays on the idea that sloth is just limited to laziness. Despair.com, which is kind of a cynical website, I find it hysterical, uh, suggests that uh, sloth is my spirit animal. You can get a poster with that as well if you'd like, or a mug, or whatever the case may be. Now, look, that's certainly one aspect of sloth. And and the Bible talks about that particular aspect of just being lazy. That's the picture that we have. It's kind of 
adorable, not only as a creature, but we, sloths move slowly. They get very little done. And that's kind of our picture of sloth. It's just somebody who's kind of super, super lazy. Um, and, and that's played on a little bit in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, which says a lot about the sluggard or somebody who is slothful, mentions these kind of aspects. In chapter 26, verses 13 through 15, we read, the sluggard says, There is a lion on the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. So that's pictures of sloth-like behavior. Um, making excuses to avoid work. There's a lion in the streets. It doesn't seem that that was kind of your typical occurrence. Somebody's got something to do and they blame make an excuse for why to avoid it because of some ridiculous statement. The dog ate my homework type stuff is going on here. Um, or just this analogy, a door turning on its hinges. That's what a sluggard is like on his bed. I mean, a door's function is just to open and shut, and the sluggard's function is just to sleep and turn like a door from one side to the other. <coughs> That's all he's willing to put his effort into. <clears throat> it's an opposite picture of industry. When I went to college, and this, this, is, this was just a torture, um, my school, Grove City College, had classes six days a week. I don't understand why, except six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. So I think they took that very literally. So Saturday mornings, uh, I had classes my freshman year. This is just awful. I had 8 a.m. classes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that sounds like, you know, public school system or whatever, but not college, right? One of the great things is you get to sleep in. You stay up late, you sleep in. That econ, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and accounting, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 8 a.m. And that's just wrong enough. But I also had a very social room. Uh, my roommate, two things were happening. Number one, it's always interesting living with somebody who you don't know. He listened to a WDVE. It was classic rock in Pittsburgh. 103.5, 24-7. It was just his habit. So Led Zeppelin was playing 24 hours a day in my room. Plus, we had uh, a nice little place where people could, could sit. One guy would came in called Possum. He would do what we called the Possum Sprawl. He would just sit down on this beanbag and sprawl out and just sit there till like 3 a.m. in the morning. I have no idea why. But people would come and gather into our room all the time. So I was very tired. I had to get up in the morning while I was competing with all this other stuff. So when I came home from classes, I would just sleep all afternoon. That's when I typically slept. My nickname became Rip, like for Rip Van Winkle. And so I was known as a very slothful individual because I was sleeping all the time. But nobody else had to get up in the morning. It was awful. <laughs> so I looked like the sluggard who buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it to his mouth. I mean, this is somebody who's just... You know, just consuming food and then just so, so lazy he can't even get it back into his mouth. That's a few pictures of sloth and that's clearly a problem. And you might know someone who fits the pattern. But I'm guessing for those of us who hold jobs and who parent children or even who go to school, you can't immediately identify with this picture of sloth. I mean, maybe it, 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 at times and in patterns, but just as a whole that you might say, that doesn't apply to me. And uh, it might help here to look at what the ancients say about sloth. 
to see that more of us struggle with this deadly sin than we think. And hasn't that been the case with all of them? Um, it, I've, I've kind of pictured, we've got this tree and leaves, but I also picture something like an onion with seven layers to it too. And on the outside of that onion is the most obvious external thing that you wrestle with. Perhaps you've been able to identify one from the beginning, like that's the one that I find I wrestle with most obviously. But you peel that away and there's another layer under there that you weren't expecting. And hopefully every Sunday you see, wow, I guess I got issues in that area too. And then you peel it down and you get to the root of it. And as they su they've suggested in the past, you'll find pride at the bottom. But even if you think, ah, oh, maybe it's not pride, all of those things are just labels to a more general category of an issue we call sin. We all have hearts that are prone to wander. At the core of what we're getting to is hearts that wander. And they're just taking different pictures along the way. And these are what the ancients have said are the ones that are common to everybody that we need to be aware of. It's just like God warned Cain back in the day. Right? Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. That's all back, way back in Genesis chapter 4, which follows Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world and immediately you've got these two brothers who are at odds with each other and God warns one of them, sin is crouching at the door. It's right there and it desires to have you. And he doesn't leave Cain there. He says something to him, but you must master it. That's the framework God gives for this battle that we have. And that's what we're after, recognizing these are some common and destructive sins that we identify and then we seek to conquer, we seek to master. We don't let that master us, but we master it. And some of that we've said is name it and claim it in a very different way than modern theology might say. We're talking about naming your sin and claiming it, owning it. And part of why we're doing, I think, as we go through this series is recognizing again that, that's loss, not my issue. I hope by the end of this message, you see what a problem it is for each one of us. And let's name it, let's claim it, but then let's seek to, to conquer it. Let's not leave ourselves there. Let's be intentional about, uh, about addressing it. Not simply, of course, as a moral improvement program, which would be very easy to do. This isn't about self-help, self-improvement. But rather with the power of God's spirit and leaning on his grace and trusting and obeying. It's, it's a both and, this big fancy word called sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ is a both end. We have things we need to do, we need to attend to, but God's Spirit is accompanying us and His role is always going to be greater because we're hopeless without Him. We can't conquer this on our own. There are people who've tried to do that in the past. You can read all about Benjamin Franklin. He's got some great lines about his moral improvement and he finds he can't do it. It's too frustrating, of course. We need God's Spirit. So back to sloth. Those who wrote about this in the early church days, the 300s, used a Greek word to describe this, akedeia, akedia, and that means lack of care. Ah, without care. In other words, apathy. You just don't care. But it's not just apathy toward work or productivity or industry. More significantly, that apathy is about the things that really matter the most. So that's what they're trying to get at. Sloth is not caring about the things 
that matter the most. This is a disordered perspective on the priorities of life. Uh, Aquinas in particular argues that what does matter most, our devotion to God and our commitment to others. So sloth then is not caring that much about God and others. You can see where a lazy person might be slothful, but what about a workaholic? And this is interesting because just thinking last week about gluttony, you tend to think of somebody who's just stuffing their mouths. But if your God is your stomach, you can also deny yourself and build your whole life around that. And still that's a form of gluttony. Strangely, we don't think of it that way because our culture has hijacked these things and creates pictures of them that simplify it, like sloth. If you're just a lazy person, you're slothful. What about a workaholic? Have you ever thought about a workaholic being slothful? I haven't. They're the picture, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard. And that's true. You might be lazy, you need to get off your duff and work. I mean, Paul talks about that too. You're worse than an unbeliever if you're not providing for your family. There is a productivity issue, but it's not limited to that because if you're somebody who works hard and you're a workaholic and you're getting more and more and more, you might fail to provide and nurture the things that actually matter most. You might be neglecting, and you probably are by definition, your duties to your spouse, to your kids, to your community, and to your God. You can be very busy about things that are good, but when we become disordered, actually, you're being slothful about the things that matter the most. You see that? Strangely, this is what the ancients talked about. In those areas, you might be displaying an absolute lack of care. Okay, dear. So what sloth does then is it devalues what is valuable and makes valuable what is not. This is the reprioritizing that all of these sins do. It, it, the things that should matter don't and the things that matter too much, too, too much to us should not be what we care about. Now, Graham Tomlin gives a little bit of example of this. For example, he says, sloth fails, does not value, right? Fails to get worked up about homelessness, human trafficking, or hunger. It is a dullness that fails to wonder at green rolling hills, brooding mountains, an act of sheer unexpected kindness, the birth of a baby, the work of Botticelli, Mozart, or for those of you who don't know who they are, you too. It is the spirit that reacts to cruelty, injustice, and pain by shrugging the shoulders and switching the channel. A sloth. Not caring about the things that matter the most. And so a lot of these people talk about sloth as people who've just lost the passion for life. It's a person just going through the motions and that can take the form of apathy about larger social issues like injustice. You know, maybe you once had that youthful sense that change can take place, but you've seen too much to believe it ever will. I know one of the refreshing parts about having college students around sometimes is this idea, we're going to change the world. And then when you get to your 40s or 50s, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You get a little jaded and cynical maybe. You're tired. 
and perhaps even despairing. And that's where sloth leads to despair. It's just time to give up. And that's what sloth does. Sloth gives up, especially on the hard things. What are the hard things in life? They're the things that face us all the time, our relationships with people, family, spouse, kids, work colleagues, or God himself. You know, that day in, day out commitment to cultivate closeness is hard. And maybe you just can't muster the energy anymore and you've checked out on some, somebody in some way. That's, that's sloth. Weary, despairing. Maybe you're dreaming about a different life or complaining about the one that you have. Your job. That's sloth. But it, a lot of this was born in the context not just of the desert fathers but monasteries and some of the people write about the monk who's going out about his business and wondering if there's a monastery that's better over there and complaining about the food that's being served. And they attach that to sloth, strangely enough. Dorothy Sayers, who's got a wonderful way of putting things, describes it this way. Sloth is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing to die for. Sloth doesn't care. Gives up, is tired, weary, defeated. And it can manifest itself, as we've said, in apathy, but also in escapism. You can be apathetic, or you can choose to escape into a world where things aren't nearly as hard. It's just easier to do that. Our time and our emotions might be consumed by a favorite sports team or shopping for the latest product or obsessing about our appearance or losing ourselves in media or gaming in such a way that we no longer have the energy or drive or time for our primary duties because that world is a lot easier. It doesn't confront us with the hard things of life. And you're going to get what you, you know, out of the things that matter most, exactly what you've put into it, which is pretty much nothing. But why are you surprised when those things are falling apart? But it's too hard. You know, sloth avoids starting things. You know, this is a procrastination, right? I mean, I, sloth can avoid beginning things that they know have to be done. Sloth can also keep us from finishing things. Maybe you're good at starting things, but bad at finishing them. And sloth certainly avoids confronting things. I mean, it's just easier not to go down that road, not to confront. Be, keep the peace by not put, putting one step in front of the other and, and, and confronting the hard things. That's sloth. These aren't my ideas. These are from people way smarter than me. I just read and regurgitate in this case. These are things that I've read about that say this is what people who've thought about it and sit there and just think, 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 think and come up with these things. This is what it all is. This is what it boils down to. This is what sloth looks like. Sloth keeps Netflix on instead of starting a conversation. <laughs> it keeps us from 
You know, reaching out to someone to clarify a misunderstanding. It keeps us from opening our home to neighbors for a meal. It keeps us from exposing ourselves and listening to people whose perspective might be different than ours because it's too challenging and frustrating. It's all sloth. Create a safe place for ourselves. And at its core, the Desert Fathers argued that this is a spiritual malady of the highest sort. It's not just a cute animal. This is a real serious spiritual problem. They were very concerned about sloth because, they argued, sloth ultimately begins with our failure to love God well. That's where it all starts. This is the prime duty which is neglected in sloth. And that's why Aquinas describes sloth as sadness and abhorrence or boredom regarding a spiritual and divine good. You're just bored with doing the same things over and over again. You're sad or you even hate. Any a kind of spiritual divine good that you want to do, it's just, it's just boring. You don't want to do it anymore. And that's why he said this is really an affront to the greatest commandment. Jesus said, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God like a sloth. Right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your energy, all of your passion is put into that. That's the greatest commandment. You want to know what life is all about? Spend yourself on loving God. Don't give up. Keep going. It's going to be hard. Doesn't matter because this thing is a long obedience in the same direction. Keep that fire going. Keep your lamp burning no matter how hard it is. Anybody here want to say that they're not a sloth this morning? I, I hope you see. We've all got issues with this. Loving God that passionately, not giving up, persevering, running into danger instead of away from it because this is what maybe God's called us to do. Sloth is a failure of this chief duty of man. And if we lose our taste, our passion for God, we lose it for the other things that he has made to matter most. This is kind of the central issue here. This is why they're trying to dig down to the affections of your heart. Because once they're tied completely to God, then everything else kind of prioritizes around it. If he matters the most, all those other things are going to trickle down as a result. Uh, Evagrius, who writes a lot about this as well, says sloth is an inner resistance and a coldness to one's spiritual calling or identity. That's pretty instructive. You have a resistance or you don't care, a coldness, to what God has called you to do, who he's called you to be. Nah, don't really care that much about that. You're failing to apply yourself fully and wholly to where God has called you. This is why we read the parable of the talents. Because here's a master who entrusts with others certain resources and says, now invest them wisely, comes back. And, and some have done that at different degrees. It's a picture of stewarding what God has entrusted to you. And one of these people is basically a sloth. He goes and hides it. He does it out of fear 
There's something keeping that individual, maybe, the, but that's not what the master said. Go and invest what I've given you. And the sloth says, no. The others, take it, use it. They pursue the good, as it were. And it's a financial parable for sure. But even when things are hard, they're investing in where God has put them. Sloth says effectively, just like we've titled this, who cares? I mean, at the end of the day, you get down to it. Who cares? Who's got the time? Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't care anymore. And we can be grateful, I think, that Jesus never said those words. <laughs> he never said, who cares? Those who write about these vices from the past mention joy and perseverance quite a bit as virtues that combat sloth. Joy versus despair. Sloth leads to despair, but joy sees value in all things because God is at work and is able to rejoice even in hard things. The Bible says a lot about that. Not that you're happy that you're going through a trial, but you know God is at work, so you will not grow weary and lose heart because God is doing something. Though you can't see it, you can still hang on just like Paul did when he was in jail to joy because even in these hard circumstances, it's giving me opportunities to grow and express my faith in a way I never would have had otherwise. That's joy. Instead of despair. And they talk as well about perseverance as an opposite virtue that when things get hard you just stay the course you don't jump ship there's, there's this trusting element of, of kind of the grind never stops even in, the, in, the, in this faith of you, you just got to have grit and, and do it they talk about that I find that intriguing since they're tied together by the author of Hebrews and the work of Christ who didn't say who cares especially when things got tough so this is a verse many of you will know from Hebrews 12 but think about it with respect to sloth and then perseverance and joy therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's Jesus, who we're called to fix our eyes on. Why? Because he had a joy set before him. It, it was, he endured the cross, the joy that was set before him was what was going to happen as a result of that work. Even though it was difficult. And thank goodness on the cross he didn't just say, who cares? He endured that full wrath. He, he, he stood up to that shame because he knew what it was going to accomplish. The salvation of many for those who would believe in him. That's why he endured. It's combining joy and perseverance there on the cross as well. And we need to consider that because that gives us an example of what it looks like not to grow weary and to lose heart. And sloth wants to grow weary and lose heart and give up. Who cares anymore? And it's not like we're in this on our own. There's a great cloud of witnesses who've gone before. And there's this effort then to look at what's hindering us, what's keeping us from that goal 
in the sin that entangles, entangles us to throw it off and then to run with perseverance. There's something for us to do. You can't be a sloth about this. And that verse directly confronts the sloth in us and reminds us that Jesus did not give in to it. Fixing our eyes on Christ is an absolute necessity if we're not going to, going to grow weary or lose heart and not give up, especially on the things that matter. So, how do we combat sloth then? Maybe you already have some ideas. I mean, the goal of the church fathers, of course, was to cultivate joy, the opposite of despair, and perseverance, the opposite of giving up, and a hunger then for the right things, a hunger for righteousness, the opposite of spiritual apathy, a hunger in your soul for the right things. How do you do that? And there's a lot of ideas out there. What I've tried to do is just distill a couple of thoughts for you. Maybe you can latch on to a couple of these if you feel like your soul's been stirred against sloth. And the first recommendation I would have is, is pray. And when we started this thing on pride, that's an easy uh, application probably to almost any sermon, is pray. But this is really important because I, I've been trying to distill this my own, myself throughout this week in areas where I see sloth at work and I've really tried to think, how do I, how do I combat that? How do I move from that area of either avoidance or apathy about the things that matter and actually start caring about them? And half the time, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. But I know for sure, one thing I need to do is to pray that God will give me a renewed zeal for the things that matter. Because if I'm slothful about something, something matters more to me than the thing that should matter the most. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to be lazy spiritually about something. It's just easier in some respects. And I can force myself maybe to do it, but what I really need is a change of heart. Like, I, I, I need to count this better. And <laughs> it comes down to it, I'm like, God, you better renew my zeal for the things that matter. I doesn't seem like I'm able to bro, you know, breathe life into this heart that just doesn't care right now. So, God, would you do something? Would you renew my, renew my zeal for the things that matter? Show me where I don't care about those things. And where my heart is disordered. Because clearly I'm loving this more than that. For some reason. Pray that you would have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where does that come from? Can you work yourself up into a lather to care about the things that matter most? I mean maybe you can posture yourself in a certain way. And I'll, I'll talk some about that as well. But fundamentally if it's a spiritual malady it has a spiritual solution. And God's the one who deals with that stuff. And half the times, we'll end up in a moral application of just like, try harder. But if you don't start here, what's the point? You're, gonna, you're just going to end up either inflating your self-view, I did it, or end up frustrated. It didn't make a difference. But neither of those things matters most. It's God breathing life into you. I think of that Ezekiel message Dry bones come alive. Are bones just assembling themselves and then you know, putting flesh on themselves? This is a work of God. 
So we come, come back to that. Say if, if some way you're thinking, I am a sloth, one thing that was said applies to me. Start with prayer. God, renew the zeal for the things that matter in me. And I would recommend as well, kind of, kind of have to come to terms to where you are and embrace it. In other words, don't run away. You know, don't avoid. If, if God's put you in hard places, it, what are you going to do? You've got to embrace that. I mean, he's, he's at work in the midst of that. You know, most divorces happen within the first seven years of marriage, statistically. And then, of course, once there's a divorce, the stats go up even higher, two, three times. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who live for a long time. They wander away. Kids are gone. Then they get divorced. But statistically, most happen in the first seven years. And then usually pretty stable after that. Because marriage is hard. I mean, if you're not married and you think it's, <laughs> it's not, you're not married. <laughs> it's not easy. And sometimes that hardness comes later in life. It's not easy. It, there's a reason why there's a high divorce rate. And there's also a reason why that divorce rate goes down as you stick it out over time, as you persevere. And there may be some, some aspect of, you know, it's not fun or pleasant, but you might need to embrace where you are. This steady discipline through the ups and downs of life, even if you don't feel like it. And as you embrace where you are, God can grant us a fresh perspective. I remember some of you know Brother Lawrence, and we talked about him a couple, few years ago. This, this man who became a monk and was just washing dishes and learned to find joy in washing dishes. Because God was there with him. This was the time when he communed and spoke life into the most dreary, mundane thing. Washing dishes became a beautiful communion with the God of the world. Or it could just be washing dishes. And you could be thinking, I wonder what they're doing over there that's more exciting than this. So he turned something that could become an area of sloth into a, a reason for joy. It seems like he was able to embrace where he was and say, okay, God, <laughs> this is not easy. I could become a sloth and complain and, or just embrace this and find joy even in the midst of these challenges. Now, this sounds a little moralistic, but why not try to do something hard? If you want to combat sloth and it's like avoiding hard things, why don't you lean into the, something difficult? That's kind of strange advice. Pursue something challenging and difficult. And I, only, only, in a sense, maybe even just jump-starting some of the sloth that you have. I mean, when, when you lean into something difficult, you can't avoid the hard stuff that comes. I'm not talking about just, you know, jumping, going parachuting out of a plane. To, to, but that might be a good thing for you because your fear, you won't take risks. Well, go jump out of a plane and somebody can come talk about how they did that <laughs> next week if they want to, I suppose, to kind of stir yourself up. There's like this sense in the Bible too of, of stirring up your spiritual zeal. If you've grown cold to the things of God, something needs to be stirred up. Do something hard. What is something that you've been avoiding? Why? Why not? And you might need some equipping to get there. You don't just jump out of a plane and say, oh, I'm doing it. You, you've got a parachute on the back and you've received some training. 
So I, I'm not saying do something foolish, but maybe something hard. What if you did? What if there's something you've been avoiding that you said, okay, maybe that's just sloth and I need to combat it and trust God more and he'll do something as I, I lean into it. I don't know what other language to use. Identifying some, uh, something you're trying to avoid and tackle it. And it may be invigorating to you. I don't know. And then the other final consideration is to steward your, your duties and your gifts. I mean, if you're, if you're here's, here's what I mean by that. Take stock of how you're attending to your basic duties. You know, loving the parents God's given you, your spouse, your kids. Work, do it hard and do it well and do it with integrity. And maybe there's uh, something God's calling you to do. When I say steward, I don't just mean like just keep things normal, but in, invest like these people did in the parable of the talents. In, in, in something that God is calling you to. That, and it could be a phase of life is keeping you from that. But I, So, you know, I drive Uber and there was a guy I drove a few days ago who get into this conversation and he's, Approaching 60 years old, and three years ago, um, he finally decided to get sober. He said, I've been going to AA for, for three years. And I said, that's great. That's fantastic. And he said, and I went back and I got my college degree. This is a 57-year-old man who's rubbing shoulders with 20-year-olds at UC. And I thought, dude, that's really inspiring. Like, that is awesome. You know, your life's not over yet. I don't care where you are in life, there's something to invest in, God is doing something, and you, you have an, you, you've been entrusted with something, how are you using that? What are you investing that stuff, and here's the thing, if you're investing it in things that take away from that, because you're just maybe wasting time, there's a difference between rest and wasting time, God's given us time for rest, and we sort of baptize wasting time as rest, you do need rest. You don't need to be wasting time. You're taking away from the investment in things that could be nurturing you to become a better husband, a better pastor, a better accountant, a better citizen. And if you're not doing it, it could be because you're slothful. You see why that's a problem, don't you? Sloth asks, who cares? And I think... God is calling us to be able to answer, I do. <laughs> Sloth says, who cares? We ought to say as a church, big C as a church, little C as an individual, I do. I care about injustice. I care about making the best possible use of the time that's given me. I care about loving my spouse fiercely, even though it's really hard sometimes. I care about worshiping God. I care about cultivating my sense of loving him and loving others. Who cares? If you're in Christ, you have to be able to say, I do. And thank goodness, even when we can't say that, Christ did. On the cross, that's what he said. I care. I do. Even when you fumble and foil and start peeling away all the layers of the onion and you're like, lost my outer layer. He didn't. He didn't fail. It's the second Adam. The first Adam failed the test. second one did not. He stayed true to his task. He persevered to the end. And so for us, 
we hopefully can say for, for us, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's the anti-sloth motto. Sloth is not my spirit animal. I name it and I claim, <laughs> claim that I brought, but for me to live is Christ that infuses us with a sense of meaning and hopefully we will not grow weary and lose heart. And when we celebrate communion, this is a testimony that Jesus did not give in to sloth. We proclaim his death until he comes again. That he was true to what he was called to, the task he'd been given, even when it was difficult. On the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And of course, he was saying, if there's any other way, he knew there wasn't. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sits at the right hand of God the Father. As a result, he also took this cup, the cup of God's wrath, which he drank fully to his dregs, so that we could know forgiveness of sins. So this bread and this, in our case, juice, symbolizes that. But we believe he's spiritually present here. And if you need nourishing and strengthening and feel slothful today, then confess that. But be renewed in your zeal for the things of God because Christ himself has shed his blood and given his body for us. We'll distribute first the bread. Hold it to signify our unity by taking it together after it's been distributed and follow the same thing with the cup. So first the body of our Lord.